Our Bible reading tonight is taken once again from Isaiah chapter 9. We're going to read verses 1 and 2, and then we'll read verses 6 through to 8. Let's hear the word of God. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 1 and 2. Nevertheless, the dimness shall not be such as was in her vexation, when at the first he lightly afflicted the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, and afterward did more grievously afflict her by the way of the sea beyond Jordan and Galilee of the nations. The people that walked in darkness have seen a great light. They that dwell in the land of the shadow of death, upon them hath the light shined. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace there shall be no end. Upon the throne of David and upon his kingdom to order it and to establish it with judgment and with justice from henceforth, even forever, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. Amen. We know the Lord will stamp with his own approval and blessing this reading of his own precious and infallible word. Now, my text tonight, I want to take Galatians chapter 4 and verses 4 and 5. Listen to the word of God. Galatians chapter 4, verses 4 and 5. And this is what it says. But when the fullness of the time was come, God sent forth his son, made of a woman, made under the law, to redeem them that were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. Now, my theme this evening I've entitled To Discover the True Meaning of Christmas. Have I asked the question tonight, what does Christmas mean to you? Despite Christmas being celebrated for centuries and enjoyed by millions across the world, sadly the majority of people have not the foggiest idea what it's all about. Suppose we were to interview some people and ask individuals, we could be told, oh, it's a, a family time. And it is. It's a time for families to gather around the table and the fireside and enjoy food. Someone else might say, well, it's a time for giving and receiving of gifts. And we participate in that tradition. Others might say, well, you know, it's a time of work. It's a break from the routine of the factory or the school. Someone else might say, well, it's a time to feel jolly. It's a time of sadness or gladness and joy. It's a time of peace on earth. A time of display of human goodness. A display of man's humanity towards his fellow man. Now, some of these things that I've mentioned are true. And they can be related to the Christmas story. But none of them get to the real heart of the message of Christmas. Listen to this. In 2012, so this is 10 years ago almost, the Washington Times carried an article by Pastor John MacArthur, and he wrote an article on the real meaning of Christmas. And here's part of what he wrote, and I quote, Christmas is about the birth of Jesus Christ. 
It's not just a, a poignant story about a baby born in a stable because the family was turned away from an inn. But according to the New Testament, the baby is God in human flesh, voluntarily stepping down to live among humanity as a servant. And in order to take the burden of others' guilt and pay the price for it by the sacrifice of himself for them on the tree. Now that is a wonderful summary of the real meaning of Christmas. And it's so easy to lose sight of the real true meaning of Christmas. Young people, boys and girls, it's not just about Santa. It's about the Saviour. It's not just about the tree. It's about a glorious truth. It's not just about a meal. It's about the maker being veiled in human flesh. It's not just about giving. It's all about receiving the best and greatest good news story of all time. You see, approximately... 2,020 years ago, God gave the greatest of all gifts when he sent his son to be born as a baby in the manger at Bethlehem. And the wonderful truth of that baby, now listen to me, is God with us. You see, the Christmas story is a story about Emmanuel coming to live amongst us as one of us for the purpose of dying for us to redeem us and reconcile us to God and make us his children. The true Christmas message is not just sentimental. It's all about salvation. Matthew 1 and 21, Thou shall call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. You see the real meaning of Christmas? It's connected to redemption. And how many have forgotten that? How many haven't the foggiest idea about that? Oh, it's a time to feel jolly, a time of work, a time to receive and gives gifts, a time for the family. But this truth is not known. I've already read from Galatians chapter 4. Listen to what David Irvine read in one of those texts in Luke chapter 2. It says in Luke 2, she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. And here's a good summary. Galatians 4 verses 4 and 5, Luke 2 and 7 of what Christmas really means. Now three things, Okay. It means a promised revelation. Listen to the words, but when the fullness of the time was come. So we're going to think about the birth of Christ. And you've got to think of the circumstances of Christ's birth. And I want to tell you, way back before time began, in the council chambers of redemption, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit had a, we'll call it a divine conference so our minds can comprehend it. The whole Trinity was involved in the sphere of redemption, and at the heart of that story of redemption is the incarnation and virgin birth of Jesus Christ. You see, when I think of the birth of Christ, 
and all the circumstances around it, I'm not surprised that it all happened. Because it all happened as God had planned from the beginning. You see, when we bring God who controls time and events and people into the picture and recognize that he's in absolute charge, then what a difference that makes. We sang this morning, Hark the Herald Angels Sing Glory to the Newborn King. There's a verse in that hymn that says, Late in time, behold him come, offspring of the virgin's womb. What does that mean? That sounds as if it's saying Jesus came a little late. Or, or something else. What do the children think of when they think of that line late in time? You see, that's an unfortunate impression, isn't it? Because the Bible teaches that he came in the fullness of time. It doesn't mean late in time. It means he came at the right time, at the perfect time, at the time appointed by God. Because God had prophesied and promised it all beforehand. It's all appointed. He came on the right time, determined beforehand, appointed by the Father. Christ coming to earth in human flesh was not an afterthought. It was not God merely responding to human history and events. This was his promised plan from the beginning. He appointed the time and he appointed the means. It's all part of his plan. He was sovereignly at work. He is fulfilling his eternal decree. And what we see in the events of the Christmas story is the outworking of God's wonderful eternal plan. And you see, that plan, young people, just didn't stop with the birth of Christ, his incarnation and virgin birth. The ultimate purpose of his coming, while foreshadowed in his death, as we'll see in a moment, was utterly fulfilled in his death and resurrection. Remember, it was God who planned it all, even planned the death of his only begotten son. Acts 2 and verse 23, foreordained, the Bible tells us. You see, remember tonight, the coming of Christ into the world was in perfect accord with God's eternal plan. Now, I emphasize that for this reason. Some people think that the Lord Jesus just randomly appeared on earth. He didn't. Now, let's think for a moment of Mary and Joseph. David read for us in Luke chapter 2 that she was great with child. That means she was having a baby. She was heavy with the baby. The baby was soon to be born any day now. They lived in Nazareth. And they had to take an 80-mile journey from Nazareth to Bethlehem. I want you to think of this decree of Caesar Augustus. All the world to be taxed. What does that mean? Well, you see, it's more than just about the payment of money out of your pocket or out of your purse. It has to do with a registration. It has to do with enrollment. There was twofold. It was to be assessed for taxation. That was one end of it. And to discover then, secondly, who was liable for military service. So each one had to go to their own city of their birth, where they were born, and they had to register or enroll there for that taxation. So, for example, if it was me, I was born in Macrafelt. If I lived in that time, I would have to register in Macrafelt. And if you were born in Belfast or Portadown, you would have to register in Belfast or Portadown. You see, 
Bethlehem was David's ancestral home. Because um, uh, 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 Joseph, remember, was of the house and lineage of David. And they had to travel 80 miles to Bethlehem. Was this not a worse time for Mary? She was great with child. But the circumstances were being divinely planned. Listen to what the prophet says in Micah chapter 5 and 2. But thou, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, though there be little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of thee shall he come forth unto me that is to be ruler in Israel, whose goings forth have been from of old, from everlasting. Where was Christ's child to be born? Bethlehem. Mary, great with child, living in Nazareth. Christ was soon to be born. God set a plan in motion. The circumstances in the time were all under his control. You see, God keeps his word. We can trust God's word. It's reliable. It all comes to pass because God is sovereignly in control of world events. Young people, world events are not out of God's control. They're all under his control. And God is all-powerful. Even though wicked men are powerful, God is all-powerful. And God couldn't have planned a better time for Christ to be born. Let me explain quickly. Politically, the Roman Empire was at its height. The Romans gave the uh, known world good roads, a fair system of government. Most important was Pax Romana, which means world peace under the rule of Rome. People were free to travel. People had ease and safety across the whole of the empire. And therefore it meant that people could travel, but they could also carry the gospel to the known world. Culturally, the world was becoming more unified. People were educated. Even the common people spoke the Koine Greek. That's the very language of the New Testament. It was written in Koine Greek. Spiritually, the world was religiously diverse, but it was open. The Jews at this time had a renewed interest in the scriptures. Jesus said to them, search the scriptures, for these are they that testify of me. The scripture is Christocentric. It's all about Christ. And remember the, the ministry of John the Baptist. And remember there was a strong Pharisaic movement at that time. You see, everything about Christ and his birth was meticulously and perfectly planned. The Lord was even controlling Caesar. Little did Caesar know God was using him in his plan. But God keeps his word. God can be relied on. The census, the circumstances, the, the story of the birth of Christ is a story all about the hand of God. He allows, appoints, arranges, and permits things to happen. Remember the psalmist said, my times are in his hand. So I want you to think of a promised realization. I want you to think, secondly, of a powerful revelation. The text says in Galatians 4, but when the fullness of the time was come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, made under the law. You see, Jesus Christ was born of a woman to reveal God to us. Now that's simple, but that's profound. God sent forth his son, born of a woman, made under the law. And that text, if I understand it right, brings in the eternality of Christ. It brings in his true and essential deity. 
It brings in the true humanity of Christ. It brings in the true humility of Christ. Think for a moment of the manger. Humbling primitive conditions where God in the flesh was laid. No fancy palace, no nice hospital, no hotel, a stable, we're told, a manger. The Jews staggered at that. You see, they thought of the promised Messiah. He would come, pomp and pageantry, fanfare. But they thought he'll never be born in a stable or laid in a manger. And yet it was all prophetic. It all points to who he is. Remember what we read in the book of Isaiah, in Isaiah chapter 7 and in the verse 14. Listen to what the prophet said. Therefore the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. I've already read in Romans or Isaiah chapter 9, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. The government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Unto you is born this day, the angel said to the shepherds, in the city of David, a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. David Crawford read for us from John chapter 1, and you think of the verse 14 in that tremendous statement whenever it says there, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. You see, at Bethlehem, God became a man. That's a powerful revelation. And he dwelt among us as one of us. He came as the last Adam, a real true man. Uh, with a true flesh and blood body. Great is the mystery of godliness, Paul says. What? Great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in flesh. You see, it's amazingly sad tonight that so few knew, so few cared. We, we read there was no room for them in the inn. No room in the inn. Ask yourself tonight, have you room for God in the flesh? In your life this Christmas time? How many have room for religion but not room for the Redeemer? He came unto his own, his own received him not. Many tonight have no room for Christ. And there's some even in the professing Christian church brought up in a Christian home who celebrate Christmas with all that's going on. And yet they wholeheartedly forget what it's really all about. It's about a promised realization. It's about a powerful revelation. God in the flesh with us as one of us. Remember that manger? What was it? It was a filthy feeding trough for animals. No lovely cot for Christ. Is that not a picture of the human heart in all its sinfulness and all its depravity with no room for Christ? And yet God incarnate comes and he's in lead there. Have I asked tonight, what think ye of Christ? Do you see him tonight as God in the flesh? You think of those lowly, humble conditions into which he was born. A world defiled and depraved with sin. A world largely unconscious of who he was. A room that had no room for him. Room for pleasure, room for business, but none for Christ the crucified. A world that was ignorant of who had actually come. Isn't it wonderful tonight we don't have to try and work out and figure who Jesus Christ is? We don't have to wonder and figure what God is like in Christ. 
Because we're told this in John chapter 1, verse 18, no man has seen God at any time. The only begotten Son, which is in the bosom of the Father, he hath declared him. See, tonight God is not hidden to us. Tonight, glory to God, God is not dead. God is very much alive. God is active in our world. God is not absent. And we can see the heart and face and love and grace of God in Christ. And it's in Christ that the brokenhearted are healed. It's in Christ you can experience joy and hope and peace. Did Nehemiah not say the joy of the Lord is your strength? Maybe tonight you feel joyless. You're in the service or you're listening to me. Maybe joy seems far away from you. Maybe you're thinking about the restrictions and the limitations of being with family at this time. It's been a difficult year, loss of a loved one. The loved one is sick. Difficult times at home. We know that Christmas is associated with joy. And what is that joy? I want to tell you tonight, it's not a feeling. It's not a a fleeting happiness. It's a deep-rooted, deep-seated joy. It's an inner peace. It's a real conviction that comes from the knowledge of Christ himself. It's strength to endure. It's strength to stand. Strength to praise the Lord, even in the pain and in the difficulty, even when you don't feel like it. You think of the difficulty and darkness of the hardness of the day. But that difficulty and darkness never stuffs, snuffs out the joy of the Lord being your strength. In that first Christmas, Mary and Joseph and the shepherds and the angels were all filled with joy. Unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. The light of the world was born, the Savior of the world. Lastly tonight, it's not only meaning a promised realization and a powerful revelation, but it also means a planned redemption. But when the fullness of the time was come, God sent forth a son made of a woman made under the law to redeem them that were under the law. That phrase under the law is used 12 times. But at the heart of the Christmas story, without explaining that term, Jesus Christ came to redeem us. This is a faithful saying worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I'm chief. He came to redeem us. He came to rescue us from our sin. You see, it's a message about the coming of the Redeemer. The young people sang, there is a Redeemer. And the truth is, the Redeemer has come. Why do we need redeemed? The answer is because of our sin and its consequences. Isaiah 53 and 6 says, For all have sinned. For all we like sheep have gone astray, and we have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord hath laid in him the iniquity of us all. Romans 3 and 23 says, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Romans 6 and 23 says, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. You see, we're incapable of redeeming ourselves. We're incapable of rescuing ourselves from, from sin and its consequences and from eternal death and hell. And there's only one Redeemer, and his name is Jesus Christ. And he's a sinless substitute. And he paid the price for our redemption. And there was no taint of human sin in him. And he's without the fallen nature of Adam. The Bible says he did no sin. He knew no sin. In him was no sin. Now think of this as we finish. And I repeat this this morning. I repeat it again tonight. Think of his clothing. What was he wrapped in when he was born? Swaddling clothes. What was that? 
It was a winding sheet to wrap up the dead. The first cloth that touched Christ's eternal word was the shroud of death. When the wise men gave him gifts, they gave him gold, frankincense, and myrrh. What was that myrrh? It was a spice that was used to embalm the dead. Is that not prophetic? As as if there's a funeral in the motion. Here's a, 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 a funeral description of why he come. It was a sign he was born for this service, not to live, but to die. Jesus Christ was born to die. Pontius Pilate asked this question, are you a king? And he said to this end, was I come? Why did he come? He come to give us life, a ransom for many. And you think tonight of God emptying heaven, disentangling the son from the bosom of the father, and presenting to you the greatest of all gifts, the gift of eternal life through Jesus Christ as Lord. He was born to die that we might have life. He's the only saviour of sinners. And in him you have physical life. The ability to breathe and speak and move and have being and have strength. He, he gives you material gifts. All good gifts around us are sent from heaven above. What about spiritual gifts? What about being built for God? What about knowing God? What about eternal life? John says this, I am come that you might have life and that you might have it more abundantly. And as you celebrate the Christmas time and as Christmas day approaches and you think of fun and food and family and you get together and you're making the best of it. And even in pain and sorrow and heartache, you're trying to show love and have some kindness and joy in your heart. Yet I don't want you tonight to be ignorant of the greatest gift of all. Many children, when they get a gift, they play with the cardboard box. Let's say it's a doll, a doll's house. They're playing with the box. What about the gift? Well, it's not what many are doing. They're playing with the things that God has given physically, materially, and mentally. And yet spiritually, they've forgotten the greatest gift of all. Emmanuel. God with us. I present to you the true and real meaning of Christmas. And I pray the Lord will bless his word to our hearts at this time.